You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. My guest this week is Kate Webb, owner of the Responsible Safari Company based out of Malawi and Orbis Expeditions based here in the UK. She's passionate about ensuring tourism reaches local communities and puts together expeditions that aim to change the lives of the participants and the people that they meet along the way, including entrepreneurs' expeditions to Malawi. I will be participating in May of 2018. So welcome, Kate. Hi, Vicky. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. And I'm very much looking forward to our expedition. Um, but this week's question, I felt having spoken with you a couple of times and finding out more about our future adventure, uh, this week's question felt like it had got your name all over it. So thank you for joining me. The question is about building a business with social purpose. The writer explains, I have had a relatively successful business career so far, and I want my next venture to focus on doing good, especially in some of the developing countries that I've been lucky enough to visit over the years. I don't want to go down the social enterprise charity route if that means I have to spend my time permanently going out to foundations or donations or grants. I'm looking for advice on how I can achieve good deeds in a way that still makes business sense. So Kate, you're on an incredible entrepreneurial journey yourself, spanning two continents, not making it easy for yourself in any way, shape or form. And you're working with entrepreneurs here as your customers and in the end communities that you work with. Tell me a little bit about how and why you got here. So it's, it's interesting, that question actually that's been posed, because I think that we've done it the opposite way around. Um, I think that perhaps doing it that way around is better. So to already have a lot of business acumen and a lot of experience and then decide you want to go down the social enterprise sort of, uh, sort of doing good route, I guess. Um, so we, we started the opposite. We, we left London when we were about age 22, 23. I say we because my whole journey really encompasses um, my husband, well, my now husband, my then boyfriend, um, we both middle children and both decided that actually London is, wasn't going to work for us. Very traditional upbringing, um, very good schooling and really were expected to go into London and do something that made us a good lot of money and worked for somebody else probably. And um, we rebelled and ran away to Africa. Um, oh, fantastic. Um, it was perhaps, we were very, very determined to... Um, to live in an, an environment where we felt that we could explore what it was that we wanted to do and what we felt passionate um, about. We didn't want to have people watching over us and we wanted to try a few things out. And Africa was a continent that was far enough away. It wasn't on the um, sort of gap year track. It was kind of somewhere that we could just go and find out really what we wanted to do as individuals and also as a couple. So we worked for a few years, um, really in the middle of nowhere, in national parks in Kenya and Uganda, and really sort of saw firsthand the efforts that were being made to work with local communities in very rural environments. But also, sadly, the sort of negative sides of tourism and issues of corruption and nepotism and the difficulties that happen when you suddenly get a big wave of uh, rich people coming into an area that is culturally very different um, and has different ethos and how that can lead to um, issues of dependency and problems like that. And 
we sort of began to get quite um, despondent, I guess, sort of quite feeling a bit depressed about the whole thing. And we kind of either decided that we would come back to England and do something different or we would possibly start something ourselves. Um, the objective has always been, and I think always will be, that we're not there to change the world. We want to do very small things that have a, you know, hopefully quite a big impact on the local economy and the people that we work with. Neither of us have huge experiences, as I said. We, we've learned on the job. Um, we've lived in Africa for 10 years total. And I think that for us was completely the only way that we were going to do this. We we're going to be able to make our business model work. I feel like I've gone off on tangent, Vicky, sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I think this is really important because experienced tourism is a huge growth area right now. But, you know, you're saying that what you saw on the ground, presumably not just tourism, but presumably with charity work and community projects was actually potentially having a negative impact. And perhaps, you know, perhaps like the person asking the question, that's not obvious for people who are trying to do good at a distance. I mean, could you tell me a little bit more about some of those negative impacts yeah. that you saw um, and also kind of why you feel that that deep knowledge that you gained in Africa over that decade of living there is something that helped you shape what you wanted to do as you turned this into a business? The very beginning when we were working in Kenya, there was a huge negative impact that was happening with the Maasai tribe that visitors were going to go and see and sort of paying really overinflated prices for different products, just visiting certain families, which led to so much inequality. And then arriving in Malawi, you know, the second poorest country in the world and everywhere that we went, we were faced with signs of charities and aid. And there was just every community that we visited was kind of a replication of the one before and there was another project trying to do the same thing and failing and it just became a kind of cycle of nobody really listening to what other people were doing and everyone wanting to start their own projects and I think that it really made us think that actually the charity and aid route just leads to so much dependency and actually to do something that was much more um, empowering and much more about becoming more um, self-sustaining and I think that our business was, was based around trying to work with communities that had, they themselves had actually become very, very despondent to the aid industry. And they were forming their own organisations, just of their own people from their community that wanted to try and lift themselves out of poverty and not just wait for the next round mm -hmm. of funding or the next person to come back. So when you talk about working with communities in Malawi and, and trying to deliver that in a sustainable way, I guess what you really mean... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but and expand if, if I'm in the right area, what you really mean is economic sustainability, entrepreneurial sustainability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that's the goal. It's I would love that to be a very easy sort of answer. It's so difficult because we're working with an ingrained system, especially within somewhere that Malawi, which is so aid-dependent, for example, we've been working with for eight years with one community and trying to get um, an ecotourism model acting as a business. So they host our visitors and show them around their community and teach them about the kind of things that they're doing. And for that, they get a fee to act as a business, their hosts. It's a bit like going to the Tower of London and being guided. You pay your guide a fee. But just recently, we've had a big problem because the U um, USAID have come in and said to this organization, oh, you're interested in ecotourism, or oh, we'll, we'll pay you X amount of money to set up 
an ecotourism visit and it's sort of like well you've just come in and spoiled the whole model that we've been working with over all of these years because now they're saying well we actually get paid a consultancy fee to put a report together about our community and it's sort of so the aid industry wins and wins and wins because it's all about the big bucks and so when you're trying to do small business growth and trying to empower people they have to have a long-term vision and actually that's really difficult when you don't have food to feed your family at the end of the day why would you buy into a long-term vision when you can get instant gratification from being given a handout why would you buy into the permaculture model for example when you know that your maize in the first month can do better using fertilizer or whatever and it's sort of trying to work with so, so what we've done is we've tried to work with pockets of really inspiring Malawians who are very they, they've got it. They realise they're being conned, basically, and they realise that for long-term sustainable growth of their family, their communities, and future generation, they have got to do it themselves. And having their own businesses, like having their own sort of autonomy over their lives and control over their own money, is much more beneficial in the long run. That's fascinating because I was going to—I mean, I was going to ask you—is there a big difference between kind of being an entrepreneur and doing business in the two countries but that, that question feels very trite in a way because it, it almost sounds like with the Malawi side of your business you've kind of got a global juggernaut undoing everything that you're achieving it's <laughs> it's a really good example when we first started the business in Malawi so nine years ago um, my husband, I was working as a teacher to earn, earn us a salary. I was working as an international teacher in Blantar, where we were based in Malawi. And my husband was called in at the last point of getting our business permit granted. He was called in to see the fiscal police. And they sat down and grilled him for about three hours about our business model. They couldn't understand that we were a business and not a charity. And when we were saying that what we were trying to do is make you know bring money into the local economy and create opportunities for business they said well why would we want to have a business like yours because if you try and help us with our local economy we're going to get less aid basically and that just sort of really spelt it out for us that actually sadly politicians in countries like Malawi and it's sometimes more it's quite beneficial to be in a position of poverty in a way or it has been I think it's less so now but when I started my master's my tutor came in and he said to us your job now in 2006 I think it was is to make up for all of the mistakes that we did in development uh, 20 years ago and I think that it is a bit like that working somewhere like Malawi and trying to be an entrepreneur somewhere like Africa is you're just not very it's not an easy environment there isn't any power for SMEs like there is in the UK you're either a very big huge um, sort of company working with the government or you're in charity and aid. And we have that problem again with our staff. We've got amazing staff, but trying to keep them is really difficult because we train them up and they're amazing Malawians, but they could get a job within the aid industry that pays them 10 times what we can afford um, and 10 times what the local economy really says wages should be. Wow. So that presumably then knocks out everything within that community and makes it insanely vulnerable to that project coming to an end, losing its funding and moving on somewhere else. Yeah. So I think that a couple of the communities that we we, we started visiting about 20 communities, and we've ended up working with three, two on a really sort of daily basis. But both of those 
they really, when we went to visit them, they said, we're not actually interested in working with you because we're so fed up with being let down and we're so fed up with having aid for a couple of years and then it being pulled. And so when I was explaining to them, this is a long-term vision, you're not going to get people coming to stay with you in B&Bs or you're not going to get visitors coming to be uh, guided straight away. It's a long-term business idea. Then they were like, oh, okay, that sounds more interesting. And now... And now we're nine years down the line and we're still working with them and they're still seeing the benefits. But as they've grown, because they've earned income and these communities and community-based organisations have started growing, we've now got a problem this year where they're starting to be noticed by USAID, DFID for the amazing work that they're doing. So they're starting to be chosen as, oh, this is a really good example of this. And it's like, ah, so now we're in a position where I don't want to stop their growth. That's not my position. I don't want to play God at all with what they decide to do. But also, it's undoing everything and all the ethos and all the everything. So it's sort of trying to find that balance, which is why I've moved. I've shifted slightly with looking to try and empower people with skills in business, as opposed to here's a business model in ecotourism, as opposed to that saying, look, here's some business skills and here's some ways that you can grow your business and strategy and things like that, because that is what's going to pull the plug on the aid industry in places like Malawi, because these these women, for example, or men, or I hope in the end will have enough knowledge and power and control over their own businesses and be able to do it, that, that it's not so tempting to fall down that trap of, you know, being a consultant or doing or working for that kind of industry. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. I mean, some of the feedback that, that, that I've had, previously was you know we don't want your charity we want customers you know help help me make my micro business on a, a fractional amount of money more efficient and get me more customers i want to sell more stuff that is how you can help and i i had but what i didn't realize uh, until you you've just made this uh, incredibly clear is is how you're actually fighting against an enormous system. So this is this is not just about inspiring and enabling entrepreneurs to do what they I think and often are quite predisposed to do um, better and more successfully. This is actually way way harder. This I thought that they would be more comparables. And this would simply almost be taking something that had worked you know, well for, for me personally here. But it sounds like it's just harder than perhaps the person asking the question and, you know, somebody like me ever could imagine, really. Yeah, I think, I think that, that that attitude of turning up and being positive and doing that is very, very important. But I also think having a wider understanding of... Of the, of the environment in which you're working. And I think, which brings me back to that initial first question, that I think that if you're going to go out and start trying to do something, whether it, whether that person does choose to do a charity or they do some sort of social enterprise business sort of model, that living within that environment and, and actually looking, I've written on big things on my pad, like listen, look and learn, like the amount I feel doing my master's and living out there for 10 years, I feel like the more I live out in Africa and work out there, the less I know. And I think that, but I'm always, always wanting to be open to listening and also to adapt your business model. I think so much more than, say our UK business is only two years old, but 
we sort of think, okay, this is how we work and this is how we can we can do it and how we market it and blah, blah, blah. It feels quite straightforward. Whereas out in Malawi, I feel like maybe we didn't have very much experience then as well, but I feel like adaptability and creativity and using our initiative and allowing our model to shift under that same objective, but allowing it to shift slightly and be driven by our consumers as well as by the communities. And bearing in mind that's really difficult because actually, for example, the women entrepreneurs that we're working with, they probably have a different objective to say you, Vicky, who's coming on the expedition. And the same with, you know, a normal traveller who comes to Malawi on a family holiday. Their objective is different to the community that's hosting. Absolutely. The beneficial to both doesn't always work. And I think that working, going down this route of working with entrepreneurs, I feel really excited about that because I feel like it's really moving forward and it's moving in I don't know how well a pure ecotourism model can work anymore because of the damage that's already been done by the aid industry and also their temptation and issues of corruption and things like that I think that working with individuals and pockets of Malawians that shine is the way that you're going to make you know more sustainable change within a community a culture a country that's really interesting because I mean it was probably about between 15 and 20 years ago I went to Greenland and I kind of, you know, you have your idea in your head of what, what that's going to be like. And it wasn't thought about in any of the ways that, that you think about this. We literally landed in a plane on the ice, dumped into a community. Our job was to buy stuff. Our only function there was to buy stuff. And everybody was very reluctantly doing whatever they felt they'd been told to do to maximize their chances of us parting with money. We were kind of all locked together for a few days and then flown back out again. That was not good for either party in that experience. (laughs) It really, really wasn't. Um, And I, I hadn't done anything like that since because I just felt by participating in that commercially, I'd made something worse you know environmentally worse economically worse I felt deeply responsible for that in a way whereas I really kind of think what you are doing with your business model is very very interesting and it clearly for you about you know the kind of research and fact finding that you had done before going into this because I knew you'd done your your master's in this area but clearly it was deep deep absorption in different countries in the culture but still you must have had to do a lot of I guess book work and business work to find actual business models and models of operating because it can't even just the logistics of this must be insanely complex yeah I think that we lost a lot of money to start with we didn't have any money to start with but we also lost a lot because we really we wanted to do a lot more book work than we did we found ourselves we thought we would just try our idea out and we found ourselves in the middle of Malawi going, we've got to make this work. We can't really go home with our tail between our legs. Like, what can we do? What communities can we meet up with? I was on the road every day with a Malawian friend trying to work with communities, trying to figure it out. We were living around our, just working around our kitchen table. We had staff on retainers. We were just literally kind of um, drowning some days and celebrating other days. We then had 18 months of no fuel and loads of customers in the country and having to drive to Mozambique and Zambia to try and find fuel. We then had um, a devaluation of our currency in year two by 70% overnight. 
So all of these things meant that the book work and all this amazing research that we wrote, we would do in our business plan. We just look back at it now and go, we were literally fighting fires. We would come and it was a bit like being at the theatre where you see this amazing West End show, but behind the scenes, my goodness, like we were racing to meet clients to give them fuel in their jerry cans and so that, you know, their, their trip could carry on. And I think that the, along the whole way, we've questioned ourselves along the whole way all the time. Okay, what what is the effect that we are having? What is the actual impact that we're having on communities? What's the negative side of what we're doing? And I think along the whole way, we've always put our hands up and said, this is not a perfect model. I don't think that there is going to be a perfect model to work in this kind of industry within Africa because I think it's always changing. And I think that you are culturally very, you're always going to be different however much time you spend there. And I think that we've tried to recognise that and we've tried to be very, very open with the people that travel with us and the people that are interested in our model and say, we've had loads of challenges and we've made mistakes and we've, like we installed solar power a couple of years ago and we didn't provide enough training to the community and that solar power, £7,000 worth of equipment just broke within a couple oh of weeks. Goodness. And we've made big mistakes like that, but we're constantly trying to adapt and change our model and talk about it and being very, I've put here, um, we're just trying to recognise and look at what we're doing all the time. And also when our participants, like you, Vicky, a lot of the people travel with us, that they're intelligent travellers. They don't want to just go and be a voyeur in a situation. They want to be aware. They want to make sure that what they're doing is sustainable. And I always say that you're going to go into the communities and it's going to feel awkward sometimes, but that's good. It's supposed yeah. to be. You're not supposed to go in there and feel comfortable because the inequalities of the world are so starkly obvious when you go into that community. And it's supposed to make you feel a little bit awkward. Because if it didn't, then I don't think you're the right person for the mm-hmm. trip. You're supposed to question. Um, one of my staff said to me, we've got a problem within a community because the community keep going up. A certain family keep going up to the visitors and asking them for money. And I said, they said, we're going to stop them talking to the visitors. And I said, don't stop them talking to the visitors because... This is really important. It's for the visitors. It's important for the visitors to understand that the kind of tourism that we're doing can create that. And but let's answer the question. So let's make sure our guides are trained well enough to be able to say to the visitors, "I hope you didn't find that too awkward." Can we talk about why they might have asked you for money? What are they viewing you as? What's happened before in the aid industry that means that they see you as a white person who has money? You know, and it's important to question. So I never say to people who are coming on our trips. It doesn't feel voyeuristic sometimes because it does. And it does feel awkward sometimes. But it's those times in the evening. It's the importance of setting that scene in the evening around the campfire to talk about that and to actually recognise that this is a problem in the world. It's not an equal place. And the West has had done huge damage to places like Africa as well as good. But things like the aid industry does. And it does cause perhaps more inequalities sometimes. Coming back to the question that the person asked I think I think it's quite interesting I think I recognize the person asking that desire to do something good what that person is asking when they ask this question but also listening to your input I have to kind of wonder if they might not be better use of their talents by either starting closer to home perhaps getting a, a lot deeper involved in in something pre-existing and seeing how they might be able to contribute their skills to that what would your reaction to that be is is this a common reaction that, that you've seen over the years 
Yeah, definitely. I think that only in my experience of the limited amount of one country, really, I've done three countries in Africa, but really that my Malawi knowledge, certainly, I would definitely say try and link and don't reinvent. It would be very, very rare that you would come up with some amazingly brilliant idea that hasn't been done before within when you're looking at trying to develop communities, when you're looking or an aspect of it hasn't been done before. So try and link with people that are already doing amazing things. Um, I once was approached by somebody saying that they had $20,000 and they wanted to create a museum within a community. That community could then showcase their cultural heritage. My first question was, that's great, but who's going to be visiting that community? And they said, oh, well, I guess tourists. And I said, okay, well, who's going to bring those tourists and who's going to market those tourists? And I said, you don't want to be investing your money in making a museum. You want to be investing it in a tour operator that's running these kind of tours because they're the ones that are going to get the bums on the seats. And I think it's the same in this sort of thing. Like, don't, why don't you just look at what's out there and what you're really passionate in? If you're, we have people, quite a few of our past clients who help us grow our business now and help us support what we're doing because they see what we're doing on the ground and they see that we can then implement it because we've got our team on the ground and we've already started these things. We're already linked with inspirational Malawians. So I would say link, don't reinvent and spend time actually within that environment as much as you possibly can and listen to local people and open your eyes and take your experience and your knowledge, but be prepared to adapt that and be prepared to actually just put that aside and try and come in minus that experience that you've had before and see it afresh and see, okay, what is actually real term? Even if you don't like what you see, we're doing a big audit at the moment. Well, next year we are of the work that we've done in communities. And I know that a lot of it is going to make me go, ooh, I don't like that very much. But it's important to be realistic and not be, um, it's very easy with this sort of thing, just to look at those great bits that you've done. And actually, I think if you want to be there longer term and you want to really question the sustainability of what you're doing, you've got to look at those bits that do make you feel a bit uncomfortable and think, you know, actually, is the good outweighing some of the negative stuff. That's fascinating. I mean, I think that's it's a lovely place to wrap up because um you know, if, if truly your pursuit uh, as you age or, you know, not in your case, you you know, you guys were very young when you, start, you started out on this path of kind of a, of a calling, if it, if, if it was that, it's not about taking what you already know and ramming it down somebody else's throat. It's going out very humbly, listening and learning and making yourself uncomfortable all over again and uh, probably learning from afresh, I would imagine. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time, Kate. I am looking forward very much to meeting you and joining you on these travels um, in, in May. And uh, and thank you for sharing that incredible experience with us. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Kate Webb, this week's Entrepreneur Agniance, and you can submit your question at vickybrock.com slash podcast.